Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4. Believe it or not, we're over halfway through the book of 1 Peter. Um, we started while we were still outside. Um, I don't know, did we spend most of the summer on it? I don't remember when I got started. So, um, But anyway, we're in the book of First Peter, beginning in chapter 4. Um, and let's think about what this, what this passage is. Um, we've already seen how Peter is writing this letter to believers who are living in the midst of a hostile world. Uh, He tells believers uh, that we are to live as strangers and aliens uh, in the midst of a hostile world. Our our home, this is not our home, right? But we're just passing through in a sense. Uh, This is not our home, but we're to live with the mind, with the attitude that this we are, we are strangers. We are citizens of another kingdom. If we're believers in Jesus and Jesus is our King, then this world is not our home. Um, Peter tells us the basis upon which we are, are to live and, and to, to think about ourselves and the world as believers. First of all, um, He's caused us to be born again. And that ought to be something that causes us to praise Him, right? He's caused us, if we're believers in Jesus, if He has forgiven of our our sins, we have been born again. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Right now... What right now what we experience is suffering and misery. What right now what we experience in this life is hostility. But we have a future hope and glory forever with Jesus that will never fade. It will never pass away. It will never um, perish. And He holds us so that if we don't feel like we can hold on any longer, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. And He will hold us fast and never let us go. On the basis of what God has done in Jesus, He calls us to a certain kind of living. He calls us to be holy as He is holy, as His dear children. Uh, We're imitating our Father. He is holy, so we are to be holy as well because we're His children. We're to to live uh, in the fear of the Lord. Uh, That's that's not a a fearful dread, but a a fear that, that, that helps us to stay between the guardrails. Right? We are to love one another earnestly from the heart because He's caused us to be born again of an imperishable seed. The, the, the relationships that we have among our family members, the relationships that we have among our biological relationships are not as strong and enduring as the relationship that we have in the new birth. Peter talks about our family bonds as being perishable. But the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Jesus has been 
caused by an imperishable seed, the Word of God. The Word of God endures forever. And so we, uh, we have been born again by a new, uh, an imperishable seed, and we are now brothers and sisters in a way that will transcend eternity. He calls us to live lives that are submissive to the government. In the midst of this hostile world, in the midst of, 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 uh, uh, of persecution, this early church, as well as we who live in a hostile world, because Jesus said, if, you, if they hated me, they'll hate you too, right? And, and so as we face a hostile world, Peter says we're to live as basically good citizens and to, to, um, to live um, being submissive to our government insofar as we're able. I mean, we're not going to perform emperor worship like the, these, these early Christians lived in a context where being a good citizen meant that they would worship the emperor. They weren't going to do that. But insofar as they were able, they would be obedient to the government and all of the authorities. Uh, they, he, he called for... Christian servants to to be obedient to their masters, for wives to be submissive to their husbands, uh, and for husbands to uh, live with their wives in an understanding way, and for all of us uh, to be living in harmony and peace. And he says that we we have no one to harm, no one to fear, no one to fear. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? He says in uh, chapter 3. Um, in the midst of this hostile world, we can feel fearful. We can fear, feel fearful of what others might think of us, what others might do to us. But Peter says, who is there to harm you? Even if they kill us because of our stand for Jesus, they can't harm us ultimately because we have a future hope that cannot fade away. Last week, we looked at how we are to live uh, embracing suffering because Christ also suffered. Last week, we looked at how how, um, He was pointing to the sufferings of Jesus, saying we're to, to be like Him because Christ's sufferings were the pathway to glory. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And then there was a lot of confusing things that I went over last week, and I won't repeat again. But then, He, is, he then was raised, uh, he, he ascended into heaven, he seats the, He's seated at the Father's right hand, and He has put all of the dominion of, of powers of, of, uh, of all the angelic beings of, uh, that have been subjected to Him. Though He suffered in this life, it was the pathway that led to glory, and that's where we end up tonight. So we live in the midst of this hostile world. How are we to live? Peter tells us, since Christ suffered in the flesh, what we are to do is to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Jesus suffered in the flesh, and so we should embrace suffering like Jesus. Let's read our text. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to to understand what you have said to us through your word. Penetrate our hearts with it. Feed us with your word. Give us the sustenance that we need to be able to face a hostile word world as we savor your word. Father, help us. Give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins in this chapter by connecting to what he had just talked about. He says, since therefore Christ has suffered, Christ suffered in the flesh. The last, last week's passage that we talked about was talking about the sufferings of Christ that led to glory. The suffering that he performed, the suffering that he faced uh, in which he died for our sins and he, he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. This suffering that he experienced in the flesh, in his body on the cross, since he experienced that, then the way we are to respond is arm ourselves in the same way of thinking. We're to follow after the example of Jesus. That doesn't mean that we go out and intentionally go find something to suffer, right? That would be crazy. We're not going out looking for suffering. It will find us, right? (laughs) You don't have to do that. Suffering finds us. Non-alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver. Suffering finds us. Acoustic neuromas. Brain tumors. Suffering finds us. Pulmonary fibrosis, strokes, all manner of sickness, suffering finds us. And as we live in this hostile world, the the world, and by the hostile world, I don't just mean people who are hostile to Christians, because we live in a broken world. Uh, the, the whole world is, is broken and, and, uh, and, and we, we still live in this existence that is stained by sin. And so, yes, I think that the, the sufferings we experience in illness 
is part of the suffering uh, that we should um, not go out and seek, but understand Jesus suffered and we, 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 we are to take suffering as it comes with the mind that Jesus had. Remember that suffering was the pathway to glory. Arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Not only do we talk about uh, the physical sufferings of sickness, but also the, the, the suffering of persecution. And um, I know many, many point out, well, we don't really suffer persecution like they do in other parts of the world, right? In southern Sudan, in China, in, in all of the places of the world where people might suffer death, so people might suffer all kinds of, of beatings and things like that, uh, uh, even by the government because of their faith in Jesus. But yet we do experience hostility. When we as believers say this is what the Bible says about sexual morality. The world looks at us and calls us hateful. Things have not changed. Um, As I was reading, uh, um, even in that time, um, it was considered just part of being a good citizen among the Greco-Roman world that people, uh, if you're a good citizen, you'll worship the emperor. Right? And, and so Tacitus, some, one of the early Greco-Roman writers, Tacitus wrote and, and said that Christians were people who hated humanity because they refused to worship the emperor. And Christians today were called hateful because we won't change what we believe the Bible teaches about morality, about the nature of gender. Those are the places where our, our, our culture right now is, is very hostile to what Christianity has to say. This is not politics. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is just holding to the Bible's teaching. And we will be called all manner of things because we believe the Bible. Peter tells us, arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had. we arm ourselves. You know, we, 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 we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, we're to arm ourselves. We're going to put on the whole armor of God, Right? Put on the whole armor of God. We've got the shield of faith. We've got the the helmet of salvation and all those things. Peter here tells us another piece of the armor. Arm yourselves with the attitude that embraces suffering. (laughs) Get ready. It it requires grit. It requires determination. It It requires purpose. We know Jesus promised us that we would be blessed we would be joyful and we would experience suffering and hostility. So arm ourselves with that. Expect it, believers. Don't get caught off guard by it, but expect it. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Oh, that's one of the difficult parts in this passage. 
What does that mean? (laughs) Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It would be, I think, wrong to understand this text to say that believers who experience suffering then become sinlessly perfect. No, we, we still struggle with sin throughout our lives. But when we make the determination, we are ready to suffer for our faith. It shows and it demonstrates that we have made a break with the old world, with the old way of living that we have. Uh, uh, you know, if we embrace the fact that by standing up for what we what the Bible teaches, if we embrace the fact that that will bring us suffering, it demonstrates that we have broken with the old life. Now we will still struggle with sin. We will still, uh, from t- from now until the day we die, we will still um, fall in many ways which we confess and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. For if we say we have no sin, we lie, right? The one who has suffered in the flesh, the one who embraces suffering as the normal part of the Christian life, it demonstrates that that we have broken with that old life. Being willing to suffer, being willing to suffer ridicule and scorn is a sign that we really take this seriously. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. When we suffer in this life and when we, when we um, embrace that suffering, when we arm ourselves with that intention, um, we want to follow Jesus wherever that leads us. And we're no longer going to conform to the human passions that He lists out later but we're living for the will of God. We want to do God's will. Verse 3, For the time is past, the, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Uh, the, Gentile, the will of the Gentiles. He contrasts here the will of God with the will of the Gentiles. And by Gentiles here, uh, he's speaking metaphorically. He's not talking about people who are ethnically Gentiles. He's talking about unbelievers here. So when he says the will of the Gentiles, he's talking about the will of, of unbelievers. We're no longer following after the, the passions and the desires of, of the Gentiles, of, of unbelievers, of the nations. But instead, we are following after and trying to embrace with our lives the will of God. It says, the time already passed, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. Not only is it sufficient, it's more than enough. We should have stopped a long time ago doing what, what the Gentiles, what the, what the unbelievers do. 
What what does He say that the unbelievers do? Living in sensuality. Following after all of our appetites. Not denying ourselves any of the things that the flesh desires us to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He he speaks of a way of of wild living, uh, of just unrestrained passions, and he ends this list with lawless idolatries. I think he, he ends with a crescendo. He ends with what's the biggest thing in the list. And that is idolatry. The way of the Gentiles, the way of of unbelievers is to worship other gods. And many unbelievers today might say, well, I don't worship other gods. I don't believe in any god at all. Right? Saying something doesn't make it so. (laughs) And uh, our hearts... We're made to worship something. Uh, even Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan, uh, he had that song, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be, be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. We're going to worship someone. And if we don't worship the Lord, we'll be idolatrous. Probably the most common idol among unbelievers today, particularly in Western culture, is the self. It's just worshiping ourselves, worshiping, uh, feeding our every passion and desire and having that as the highest good. It's idolatry. It's placing something else above God. How do unbelievers respond to us? It says, verse 4, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Someone may offer you a, a chance to go out and join them at some party or something where you know there'll be uh, lawless idolatry going on <laughs> and you say no and they're surprised maybe I, I don't know um, maybe you can imagine that the world looks at us and they're surprised why don't you just believe the same way we do right what what uh, They look at us and they're surprised. They think, how can you be that way? How can you look at the world that way? They're surprised that we don't embrace the same way of looking at the world. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in that same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They slander us. They say we're bigots. They say we're hateful. They say all kinds of things. They malign us. But, remember, they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. While we're slandered in this life, 
we remember that those who are slandering us will one day stand before Him. They will one day stand before our King Jesus, who will come not like the baby meek and mild that He came 2,000 years ago as, but He will come as the righteous judge who will judge the living and the dead. Everyone who, will, who has ever lived and whoever will be will be raised on a day of judgment and Jesus will be the judge and He will be the one who separates the sheep from the goats one day. This is not something that we're to use to raise up and say, ha ha, we know what's better. You know, we're, we're not to use that in some way to, to say, well, yeah, you're going to think that slander against me, but you know what? You're, you're going to get it someday. <laughs> That's not the way we hear that. But it is meant as comfort to us. When we embrace that suffering, we're remembered, God will vindicate me. We'll be vindicated for the way that we have lived. One day Jesus will judge the wicked. And we will be shown to be those who have been born again, have a new hope and future with Him forever and ever and ever. Another difficult verse here. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. What? (laughs) What is this talking about? There's been different understandings uh, of this. Um, Some have thought maybe that's talking about, uh, well, you know, the, the passage we looked at last week was talking about how Christ went and proclaimed uh, to the spirits now in prison, and I, I talked last week about how how that was how Christ came and did kind of a victory proclamation uh, in that inner, in that period between the resurrection and the ascension that he went and proclaimed to to the demonic spirits of old uh, that he had won that he had beaten the grave that he had defeated sin and Satan, uh, and so some have have thought this is maybe what this is talking about because it's coming in the very next passage, but I don't think that's it. Um, some have thought maybe this was some opportunity after death, that there would be uh, the gospel preached to people after they were died so that they might have an opportunity to accept Jesus after death. But the Bible elsewhere contradicts that. The Bible in other places gives no hint that there's an after-death chance to accept Jesus and have forgiveness. I think probably the best way to understand this is that um, whenever it says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, uh, the NIV inserts the word now that is not in the the Greek text. It says... uh, Uh, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Um, I think that's a a correct interpretation of this. Um, The unbelieving world can scoff at the Christian saying, what good has Jesus done you? You talk about eternal life, but some of you Christians are dying. Right? 
And Peter reminds us, this is why the Gospel was proclaimed even to those who are now dead. Even though they have died physically, one day they will be raised together with Jesus. And so, when it's talking about this is why the Gospel was preached to those who are dead, it wasn't in vain that the Gospel was preached to them. It wasn't in vain that the Gospel was preached to those who have already died before us who believed. No, though they have died in this life one day, they too are inheritors of that future hope that we as believers embrace. The Gospel is preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Um, Whenever it says the way people are and the way God does, both are kind of interpretive. Um, When it says the way people are, I think literally that would be more like according to man. And the way God does, it would be more like according to God. And so I, I think maybe a better way of understanding this would be though that they are judged by people who accuse Christians of saying, look, they died. They're, they're, uh, what hope did they have in Jesus? They're dead. But in, resp- in contrast, according to God, they live. Not, in, in, not so much in the intermediate state, but they live eternally. That, that when Christ returns, they're going to be there on that day. They will stand perfectly flawless before God because Jesus has taken away their sins and they will live forever with Him. The last words here, they may live in the Spirit the way God does. So, I'm going to tie it all together. Maybe not so neat of a bow. (laughs) Christ suffered in the flesh. We experience all kinds of suffering. What are we to do in response to this suffering as believers? We embrace it because it's normative. It's it's the way that it's what the world is for believers. We live in a hostile world and we we just expect it. And in the midst of this, we remember Jesus suffered before we do. Jesus' suffering was the pathway to glory. And Uh, Even whenever people slander us and accuse us, we remember that it's all worth it. One day we will be vindicated, and though we may die in this life, one day we will be raised up together with Him, and we will be able to stand in the judgment because Christ has taken our place. He has taken away our sin. He has taken away our shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that in the midst of this hostile world, Lord, You give us strength to keep going. You give us strength to keep holding on to You even as You never let us go. Help us to arm ourselves, to intentionally remind ourselves that suffering is normal for the Christian. 
And help us, Lord, to, to use that fact to give us strength to follow you in the midst of hostility. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.